welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera. a long episode this week and interesting current affairs in a way that often the podcast isn't so without further ado Nick and I talk about cinema What I'm going to do for this episode is I'm going to hit you with some information that has been going around the film world because I know you're one of the few people that doesn't look at what's happening in film current affairs <laughs> so I can get your opinion on it. That's but you're, you're also someone who knows a lot about films, particularly catalogues of movies mm-hmm. and um, you know things across the the um what am i trying to say the history of cinema rather than just what's coming out i know a lot of things now (laughs) good to know right podcast except current affairs (laughs) okay so the first question i want to ask you is what do you think if i was to tell you that netflix is going to have a feature on its movies and TV shows that you can play them like one and a half times faster than what they actually are. So instead of looking at things, you can do this with podcasts at the moment actually, where you can put like 1.5 or two times faster, which means everybody speaks faster. So the idea is that Netflix would play, allow you to have something on so you can watch things. So this is for the 21st century um lady or gentleman um, who has a very busy life and just cannot spare that two hours and wants it compressed into an hour and 25 instead maybe i think that's that's part one of the question is do right, part one of the question is do you think this is a good idea no why it's stupid i mean for <laughs> films the, the art it, i mean first of all it, i mean i'll give you about two or three reasons for it first of all it, it, it belittles the art of acting somewhat uh, you know, performers have put a lot of care and attention into this, and I presume all the performances and everything are sped up, and all the dialogues sped up, and everything else. Well, everything will be sped up, yeah. so it's not even just the performances; it's so, also the cinematography. If you want someone to hold on a shot for well, a while for filmic purposes, well, they'll hold on it for half the time. Well, just, okay, so, the, the, so there's an acting point there, and we'll end up with I don't know George Clooney sounding like Alvin and the Chipmunks. One assumes. Um, the second is directors. Um, filmmakers in general just they you know films are timed shots are timed in a certain way for to uh, elicit a specific response from the audience and uh, just by reducing that time you're, you're reducing the artistic effect of the film just in general absolutely and not the direct uh, director's um, if you intention can't, if you can't sit there for two hours and watch a film then you shouldn't be watching the film that goes to part two so part two of the question is why is there a demand for this. Well, presumably Netflix have done their research and deduced that people want them to be shorter, um, I assume. 
Um, I think with films, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely dead. I will be dead set against it. I do see a sort of okay. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that I would agree with it, but I do see there, particularly in the case of series, um, if that's what they're doing with series as well. If you've got a series which is 20 episodes long, 45 minutes an episode, um, six and six series of that, each one with 26 episodes, it, it, it can be, you know... But when you miss an important plot, yeah, point, depending I, I, on what I'm it not, is... I mean, I, I would say if you're going to sit down and commit to binge-watch something, then it's, it's a time commitment as much as anything else. So I would say, I, I'm still not justifying that, but I, I, I could see how Netflix would have done their research and determined that if they could compress that down, they're going to get more views... But I wouldn't agree with her. Well, I have a bit of an issue with research anyway. I think we should have a bit of an inside baseball conversation now, which is um, you work in television and you regularly tell me how certain um, uh, broadcasters measure uh, how many people are watching their TV shows Mm -hmm. through Barb. Do you want to say a bit more? About that. Well, at least uh, what I know, and I'm no expert in yeah. it, although I've been to a few different talks on it, you sort of zone out after a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's the Barb Audience Panel, which is a, a panel of about 5,100 homes in the UK that are set across various... They're, they're set up to be a cross-section of men, women, uh, ethnicity, geography, everything. So in theory, all bases are covered. And these homes are designated as Barb homes. And, and this are, is just in the UK? It's just in the UK. Um, it's financed by the TV industry. It's financed by... Um, the uh, Big Five? Um, yeah. Um, I think there's about five or six now that all contribute to it. And, and, and the reason for that is because off the back of this, they can measure what people are watching. And this is all fundamental to how um, advertising is sold because so just to make this very clear because this really irritates me there are how many households 5,100 Five, 5, so you've probably got an average they're probably mostly or quite a few families it's not mostly I've no yeah, idea th- there's, there's probably a subsection of everybody I, I there's think, probably there's all I think sorts I, read, I think they suggested that it was something like fifteen to 20,000 actual people spread across those 5,100 homes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that, that makes me feel a little bit better. However, there are how many millions of people in the UK? Well, 70? About 65, but obviously only a certain percentage of those can watch TV. Um, so it'll be less than that. Maybe well, 40, still. 40 million, maybe. But know. you are looking at what? 5,000 homes, 15,000, 20,000 people are doing and mm. then extrapolating that out to be everybody who has a TV or watches yeah. TV at some point, what they're doing. And that drives me a bit insane because I just think even among my friendship group, I often have conversations saying, what are you watching? And there are so many different things now and so many different ways to watch that very few people I know are doing the same thing. It's only when it's like a huge program, um, something like Game of Thrones. And even then I was just talking to a friend today who said they don't watch Game of Thrones. So one of my closest friends who loves TV and film. So they just said it's not the kind of thing they want. They want something they can relax to and they didn't get into it at the start. Um, So... There you go. I just think that it's such a bad method for working out what people want. And that's probably why whenever I see adverts on TV, they aren't what I want, or very rarely I don't are. Know. I, I think I think in Barb's defence here, I'm I'm told I'm told 
at, at some point in the past. They did experiments very, very shortly with a much bigger focus group. How much bigger? I think it was roughly 10 times the size. Oh, bloody hell. Okay, we're getting somewhere. 50,000. Uh, I think, I think, and I cannot, uh, so don't, don't quote me on this. This is what yeah. I was told. And, Tell me uh, when you get to a million and then I'll and, like, take uh, you seriously. The results were much the same. In other words, there wasn't a significant percentage difference from those 5,100 posts. Yeah, but I think that was probably when there were four to five channels. Like, how long ago was that? There was, like, different ways of watching no, TV no, 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 now. No, no. I mean, keep in mm. mind, we've had, keep in mind, we've had uh, multi-channel broadcasting in the UK for nearly 30 years. It's not, okay. a, it's not a new thing. Um, what has changed the landscape of SVOD services and how they're measured? Which means subscription video on demand, which means you pay a mm. subscription... Uh, i.e. Netflix, Amazon Prime, and the like. Yeah, you as well. So, bringing this back to Netflix, the reason why I brought that up is because um, last year there was a film called Murder Mystery, and it had Jennifer Aniston in it, and it had Adam Sandler. And Netflix released recently some figures of how many millions of people, and I don't know if this is... I think it's worldwide, because it's, it was in the, like, you know, 50 million watch this. Let's yeah. say it's worldwide, I can't yeah. remember. And Murder Mystery was up there yeah. at, like, the... I can't... I, I should have done my research for this. There is more research coming in this episode, uh, but not for this. And um, let's say it was the fourth most watched original Netflix film. I'm sure they were talking as well about like their original content, not other mm. things that they've licensed in. And I watched about one third of that film. Yeah. That film, in my opinion, was fucking atrocious. Okay. It was not a good film. It was a bad film. I remember I saw that Gemma Arterton was in it, so I was like, good, it's definitely going to be prestige. We've already got Sandler, we've got Aniston, but I know what their shtick is. It's got her in it as well. No, she was completely underused. Every time I tried to fast forward to a bit where she was in it, I was like, oh, and I think Luke Evans is in it. The, the cast list was huge. You Fast yes, you're seeing where I'm going now. So that when Netflix released those figures, they said that, um, like you know, let's say it was 50 million who watched this. It was yeah. a high number. The 50 million people had watched at least like 75 percent of it. I mm -hmm. think. I don't know that. I don't trust that. But it makes me think I am not one of those people because I watched about a third. I watched the beginning. I watched a few little bits where I tried to like it mm. and I watched the end because I wanted to be part of the conversation. That must have been part of it because after watching the beginning and realising it was shit, if this was a film on TV, you'd just change the channel. But now we have the ability... To, to, to change these things for us. I did think, right, okay, I'll see if it gets any better. No, it doesn't, no, it doesn't. Oh, Gemma Arterton's in it. I'll see when she's in it. So <laughs> I, 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 I wonder if this is being... Netflix are doing this to almost skew their own figures because I agree with you that I don't think it's a good idea at all. I think it's... Um, rude to people who make television and film it's not what it was intended people are bound to miss things however um if people are paying especially if it's an svod service like netflix is then they have the right to watch whatever they want in the manner they want to and if they don't get every reference or if they want to watch it faster then maybe they should but the barb point was that i always worry about extrapolating out data from a smaller sample size i know i watched a little bit of of murder mystery 
And if enough people did what I did, then maybe they're thinking, oh, people like fast forwarding. And I was like, no, I'm fast forwarding because I'm trying to find a bit that's enjoyable. Where Jennifer Aniston's wearing a nice new dress. Oh, that's a good dress. Oh, let's see what other dresses are. I was not consuming the plot because it was awful. I think think in in, in Barb's case, I don't know exactly what the... the reading is but you have to have watched the program for a certain percentage of mm. time for it to register so well that's say. what netflix says that um, for those numbers so they in, said 75 percent. Ne- in theory netflix's case in terms of extrapolation actually would be probably more accurate because an SVOD service is always going to be able to tell exactly how many people are streaming on streaming their program and streaming that much and streaming that much okay so then that goes back to the idea then netflix must be doing this because that's how people are consuming their content so is the issue then that we're all pretending that we're watching every moment of every episode of a tv series or every part of a film or is it for example like when harry met sally is one of my feel-good movies and yeah. you often say start the star wars four five six are yours you could put them on at any moment and watch some of it i doubt you'd fo- you'd fast forward because you like the whole thing so i'm not entirely sure i would either but i wouldn't necessarily have to watch the whole of the film to still enjoy it because mm. your favorite films if jurassic park just happens to be on i'll watch a bit of jurassic park i don't think i'd fast forward it and go oh i want to see the t-rex you know but maybe other people are like that they take the comfort or whatever it is they're Mm. trying to get i don't know maybe they want to go and see a really bloody violent action scene maybe they want to see a sex scene and they fast forward to the sex scene so yeah i think i think i mean you made the point that if you you know if people are subscribing to this service giving them that option should they not have the right to that i guess i, I guess there's nothing really wrong with it how exactly netflix reached this conclusion were they just extrapolating uh, the, yeah, they must be people, able to people see like that people do it forward, which they probably could yeah. tell uh, well this is different though sorry this is playing it this is playing the whole thing at a faster yeah, yeah, but but they might be saying. But I think what they would have deduced if they were to examine your data is this person hasn't got time to watch the whole thing. <laughs> no, thought it was crap. Yeah, which may also be. This the is case. what I'm saying. So you can't necessarily work out. Uh, yeah, would I? Yeah, it's almost like trying to come to the middle ground yeah. between watching and fast forwarding. But the, I don't. That's not what I want. I just want things I like. Yeah, and well, I, I will mean, watch I, them I, because we're gonna second screen or what have you the whole time well, anyway. I, I most of the time. I find it a bit of an alien concept because I'm, I'm of the view that if you're gonna sit down and watch something, you watch mm. it from, from start to finish. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to get through Lost right now, and God knows that's that's a, that's a slog. I'm only halfway through series two. Um, but you're doing very well. I'm doing very well. Uh, but if you're going to bother to sit down, and my my view is always the same, which is you should watch it in its in its form that it was intended from from start to finish. Um, if I find myself bored with it or I'm wanting to fast forward, I'll probably just switch it off rather than do that because I just can't be yeah. bothered. I don't think you ever do. You ever fast forward? Not through something I haven't watched before. I've okay, so something you've rewatched. Rewatched. Even then, I mean, half the not really. I might have it on in the background and not be paying a lot of attention to it, that's true. I also think there's another aspect to this which we haven't covered, which I I kind of briefly mentioned earlier when I said about being part of the conversation. I wonder as well that in a kind of FOMO, post-FOMO world that we live in now, um, is it that people actually want to say they've watched a TV show so they can talk about it online or so they can make a podcast about it or or something like that. Do you think actually it's one of those things where 
being seen to have done something. But what, what, what are you bringing to the table in, in this fast-forward mode, in this speeded-up Netflix? Are you going to be able to comment on the performances? Are you going to be able to comment on the camera work? Are you going to comment on any of that? The plot is about as much as you're going to comment on. Yeah, but this is for all viewers. This isn't yeah. this, When I say part of the conversation, I'm not saying this is for people in the industry who want to talk about it, because they're the kind of people who will not only watch something at the normal correct speed, they will watch it three times, particularly if it's a mystery box show like Lost, because there'll be things that they've missed the first time round. Oh, re- you don't have to do that, yeah, but Jeez. I think critics and reviewers and you know pe- people who write you know, stuff about TV will maybe do this. No, I'm talking about the average person who maybe wants to, like, hate tweet about something and go, I'm outraged that this thing with this type of person was in this programme. And you and they can just watch it, fast-forward it a little bit, or have it at, you know, the souped-up speed, get outraged, go on Twitter, go on Facebook and say their thing. I think there's something inherently worrying about our inability to sit still and watch something. I just think ultimately these things are an artistic form, an artistic expression, and then you have to view them in the... It's a bit like reading a book and having someone else edit it down from 400 pages down to 300 pages just because you can't be asked to read that extra 100 pages. Maybe, but sometimes people do do that in the sense that um, there's um, a website medium, it's an app as well, and it says at the top of the articles that it posts, this will be six minutes reading time or something like that. So I do think that... um, and there's also a lot of other aggregator websites that do condense things. Sometimes I don't want to read a really long news piece. I just want to know what the headlines are. But I don't think that television and film is the same as no, news. It's not, it's not, it's not information, it's in experience. Hey, look, we live in a world where, where news is given to you in little bite sized chunks. Fine, and no problem with that if that's what people want. But I do have a problem with people uh, condensing down. A piece of art into a into a bite-sized chunk because I, I would say well should you not be viewing it in its original form but again I go back to the argument which is no matter how hard you try and how much of an insult that might be to your director or producers isn't it the audience that's paying for this and so do, is it fan service? At some point, do you have to give people or the majority of people what they want? Remember, this is an optional thing. This is not Netflix saying all programmes that we broadcast will now be at 1.5 speed. It's the option to add it, it just, on. It just seems like an odd thing to do because you're, you're changing the basic makeup of the programme in, in some respects. Um, you know, the, the, I think there's, there's an attempt here to cater for... A, a speed lifestyle, which is fine, I get that. No, there's nothing, no harm in doing that. But this, to me, seems an odd solution. Um, that the result would not be something I would want to watch. No. But the thing is, you have the option. I think it's quite funny that people have, again, been showing their outrage at this. Normally people, you know, I pay quite close attention to film Twitter. They are just, general people are just up in arms about this. And a lot of creators are up in arms, which I'd understand. As as you'd expect, yeah. Yeah. But also, you can't inflict on people the way they will watch your film. I've seen this from the amount of people that go on their mobile phones in cinemas. So, yeah. I, I can deal with... I mean, I've always felt that the argument for, for example, that films should be viewed in cinemas on a big cinematic screen versus a TV or even a mobile phone, I've always found that to be a hollow argument because what, what does it really matter? You're still viewing the same content, but, you, but you're not changing the fundamental makeup of it to me. So you think, yeah, this is a change. So watching 
Roma, let's say, not at the cinema. This was a big furore last year. Watching Roma, not at the cinema, because they had a very limited release, but watching it on a mobile phone, you would still get the same experience. Well, you might struggle with subtitles. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's um... the point. Yeah, this is obviously your right native language as well. It's going to be probably English or, or whatever, whichever, you know, Netflix is It's just going to sound weird, isn't it? If you're going to all these people sped up, isn't it? Gonna... That's what I are, think are, are as well. Are you going to be able to pick everything up? Yeah, that's a really important thing, though. I think you've hit the nail on the head, which is that it, maybe it's about action and spectacle maybe you can watch transformers movies on like fast are forward are you kidding me so each cut will be like 0. <laughs> 0.003 of a second they're already like basically under a second yes we know that's your uh, long-held opinion on michael bay did he make all of them has he done all of them uh, i don't know if he's made all of them but he's made whatever well, the matter everything he's done has been yeah. shit in my view but yeah you're right actually just yeah i think well, when you do it on podcast, because when I accidentally press it, like sometimes I'm listening to something when I'm running and that's when it happens and I'm like, whoa, these people are talking too quickly. Like I can still understand them, but I find it stressful, but that's because I'm running well, at the same okay. time. When, 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 when Alvin and the Chipmunks are talking, <laughs> they may be high pitch, but they're still speaking at, at, at normal rate. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, but the podcast is a faster rate, but you can still understand it. But it has an urgency to it. Oh my god! I just do my head in there. Yeah. <laughs> so we have concluded that we think this is a bad idea. I, I yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I, I can't. I, I will never knock a company for trying something new or something a bit ingenious. As a person who works in the TV industry, all companies, all TV, yeah. TV producers will try and do something like this. Um, Rift is an innovative thing unless you make shows that utilise it. It just rails against my ideals a little bit about Mm. what what this should be. Don't you think I don't know? He would keep me from advancing. He would have Ronan tell Father only Gamora furthers his great plan. I would keep you alive. Compassion. What would Ronan say to that? Please, Nebula. You have known me since Thanos took us both from our homes as infants. You have stood beside me in training, in modification, in battle. I have stood behind you when I am every inch the warrior you are. Another thing that I don't know if you know about, because you're the only person on the planet that doesn't, is that a couple of weeks ago, Martin... Right, well, what are we going with here? Right, This is when we can have a debate about... Apparently it's Scorsese. Apparently his friends call him Marty. Neither is he my friend, nor have I ever heard him say Scorsese. You want to call him Marty? I think Martin Scorsese is what I always knew. Do I now change it? What, what are we going to call him for the duration of this podcast? Mr. Scorsese? You want to call him Mr. Scorsese? No. That sounds ridiculous. Shall we call him Marty? All right, let's call him Marty. Okay, that's a big deal. Okay, so our good friend Marty was talking about Marvel movies in, a, in an interview. And I've got exactly what he said about them here because it's been misquoted. I'm not even sure if I've got the original source, but... Um, He said something, and then a couple of weeks later, he said something else. And in between that, loads of other people said things, including other directors. Right. It's actually hilarious. So, this is what he said about Marvel. Honestly, I I can't do his... Do you want to try and do his, like... No, his accent? (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) No. No, I can't even do anything, right? Let everybody down. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, Marvel movies... As well-made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. Oh, it was Empire Magazine. 
that he was um, being interviewed by. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. Okay, so that's right. what he says. So let that sit with you while I get something else up, which is me totally ripping something off Twitter from someone called David Alkhead, at D-A-L-K-H-E-D, which is when he kindly put into a tweet what loads of other directors have said since Marty said this. Marty, Marvel movies, they're not cinema. Francis Ford Coppola, they're despicable, which is what he said. He kind of Well, I'd expect them to be in the same bloody boat together, wouldn't you? Okay, David Cronenberg, they're mostly boring. Oh, we can fuck off. (laughs) Terry Gilliam, here now, he can just fuck off generally. Uh, They're bullshit. Um, What? (laughs) This is the guy that did The Adventures of Baron Munchausen (laughs) in Brazil. If anyone knows about bullshit, it's him. (laughs) Hmm. Pedro Maldivar, they're not sexy enough. I think that's a bit of a joke. <laughs> there aren't enough women in them, says Pedro. So, there are not enough mothers in yeah. them and gay men. I don't know exactly yeah. if that's what he said. I think this might be David having a joke. Are we just going through each... It's Catherine so. Bigelow going to say, there's not enough war in there for <laughs> yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, but the, but the, the, I know that the Scorsese and the Coppola is true and the mostly boring from Cronenberg sounds about right as well. But um, it was quite funny how these comments from Scorsese came out and it was a huge thing like article after article people talking about it on podcasts um this is all good material um and then Francis Ford Coppola coming in to kind of back up his mate and it's quite funny so then I thought okay what 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 do I know about oh I know I know about the Bechdel test and I know about women in cinema so I started to think so I think we should have a conversation about what films are cinema and what you think cinema is. Right. But before we do that, I just want to add my slant to the conversation, which is about Martin Scorsese movies and Marvel movies and how well they treat women. Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact percentage, but I do know there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Marvel movies that pass the Bechdel test and some pass it so unbelievably well like Black Panther and Captain Marvel the later ones I can read them out to you like 30 films would you say Marvel films no 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 it's not even that yet so that's quite funny you should say that I think Scorsese is about he's made about 30 films right okay and Marvel I'd say is in the 20s okay is in the 20s which are Iron Man 2 and 3 not good examples. They just happen to have more female characters. Like Black Widow might say something to fucking Pepper Potts, whatever. But it's probably about Tony for a second. <laughs> uh, Thor 1 and 2 has obviously got um, Natalie Portman's character and then um, Cat, whatever her name is, character as well. There's a, couple of, there's a couple of female people talking there. Guardians 1 and 2, you've got obviously the Nebula and Gamora sisterhood, so that makes it easier. Um, Infinity War... <clears throat> There's a few things, but there are a lot of characters. And there's um, and there's a character called Proxima Mothma. I can't remember what her name is, but she's played by Carrie Coon. And she's one of the, you know, um, the four people that help Thanos, that look, that look alien-like. Do you remember this in Infinity right. War and Endgame? She's not even named. So she says a couple of things. She doesn't say much. You can't even tell she's a woman half the time, I don't think. But she comes down. She fails because she isn't named but we know she's got a name in the in the credits but there's a couple of other things but infinity war i'll forgive a bit more because there are so many characters they're all talking to each each other you haven't always got the women talking black panther is great because it has all the soldiers so okinawa and all all of those 
And then Ant-Man and the Wasp is quite good because it has um, Michelle Pfeiffer's character Mm -hmm. and your lost favourites. They talk to each other. And also Ant-Man and the Wasp has a baddie. I don't know if you remember. I even forgot what their name is. Something like Geo, who is a woman. Do you remember she wears this Mm. white suit and she can go invisible? So again, you have the characters. And then Captain Marvel, which is amazing on all levels. It's not only... um, uh, passing the Bechdel test, but I would say, in my opinion, it's cinema, and we'll get to that. So, I started having a look at the most successful Scorsese movies because some of his older ones are probably slightly better in terms of they actually have women in them. Like um, Alice doesn't live here anymore, is it? Yeah, and Ellen, Ellen um, Burstyn. Yeah. yeah, and uh, The Age of Innocence has Winona Ryder and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things, but but if you look at the top five films that are most successful grossing, you've got The Departed, uh, Cape Fear, Shutter Island, The Aviator, and Wolf of Wall Street. Man, and, not even his best films, or well, some of them are, but oof, tell you. Yeah, well, we can get to that if you want. But I'll tell you right now, there's not a whole lot of Bechdel test passing in this. Most of these films barely even feature women. And when they do, like in Shutter Island, they're all crazy. Mm. And they're not talking to other women. They're just being crazy, like um, Emily Waters' character. Um, the Aviator only sort of does, sort of doesn't, but most of the time, because there are the, lots of the female characters in there, because obviously it's um, Howard uses life, but um, they're not necessarily talking to one another. And then Wolf of Wall Street is like genius because it passes the, the Bechdel test because it's load of like strippers talking to each other, or it's Margot Robbie's wife character talking to her best friend about various things. Like it's just like barely. So, in terms of cinema being something that represents everybody and is entertaining at the moment marvel is edging scorsese's work in terms of being entertaining well i'm saying for me personally and for a lot of people out there and remember we're 51 percent of the population and women just aren't featured that much in films full stop but the marvel cinematic universe actually gives stories to female characters far more so than Scorsese's films do. And he says, to go back to this, uh, oh, sorry. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. That bastard keeps using the word human being and he means man. (laughs) That's what he means. He means, because he has made, yes, films like Raging Bull, which, you know, absolutely amazing feat of cinema. And um, you want to talk about other Martin Scorsese films? Well, Taxi Driver. Well, well, well hang on a bit. Well, well, what are we saying here, though? Uh, I'm, I've, I've made my point. My point for this podcast is if cinema is supposed to be something which represents, according to his own description and definition, Scorsese says human being to human being, his own films don't all pass the Bechtel test. So they are only talking well, about a... So, and he doesn't really do have that many characters of colour. He's only really talking about a white male subsection. Um, if we're talking about his definition of human being to human being. Well, so I think the first thing to say is, what is cinema? Well, hang on. I mean, I, I, yeah... Um, but he's not making a comment on the on the 
on the feminist angle of this. No, of course he's not, but he's using human being to mean man. This is where life gets very frustrating. Well, I, I, I think if you're looking for, you know, examples of strong female characters, then yes, absolutely. Martin Scorsese films are not the place to go. That is for the purposes uh, of this podcast. Yeah. I want to go wider than this and talk about cinema generally. I'm not slating all of Scorsese's films. I'm just saying for the purposes of Beyond Bechdel, yeah. one of our tests of what makes decent cinema is something that is more representative. Yeah. I don't see yeah. myself in many of the characters that Scorsese has made films about. That does not mean so, they're not cinema, okay. but by his own definition, he's already skewed things into saying well, okay. that human uh, okay. beings... So Marvel films, Marvel films are are closer to your goal, but probably not, or, or closer to the, the mark in terms of female representation. If you're asking, um, I think... Which that... I think is probably true, by the way, than, than Mark. I think that makes sense. They, they, yeah, I, I could see that. When this um, argument came out, I didn't really take a side. I'm, not in, I'm still not sure I'm taking a side. I can get angry with Marvel. I can get angry with Scorsese. I can like Marvel films, love some Marvel films. I can love some Scorsese films. But... People just kind of took a side. A lot of people took a side. I'm not taking a side. My issue is with these old-fashioned notions of what cinema is, which is maybe taking the Marvel side a bit. But also, I don't necessarily think <clears throat> superhero movies are, are the only definition of cinema. No, they're not. Yeah, so... But, but are Marvel... <clears throat> But do Marvel movies, like, not show emotional, psychological experiences? I can tell you, I cried each time at watching, just off the top of my head, Guardians 1 yeah. and Guardians 2. They're both very emotional. James Gunn particularly, I think, is very good at drawing out emotion. I have spoken a lot. I would like to hear about what you think about his comments. What was it emotional and psychological? I'll read it again. We'll, we'll, we'll never forget this. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. Emotional, well, obviously, psychological... some of them are aliens. <laughs> so, like... so he's saying that his films, therefore, are the experience of conveying emotional and psychological experiences. I don't think he's being as um, self-interested as saying it's his films versus Marvel. I, I think he's saying other auteurs, because he goes on and talks about other directors. He, he's saying <clears throat> that, that maybe it's crowding out other people. But okay. yes, of course he must be, otherwise he's made 30 right. films. Okay, so, so if I had to boil this down a little bit... Mm -hmm. What I might, what I might be saying is what what he seems to be suggesting is that the the art of storytelling as an auteur um, is in conflict here with the art of film as entertainment. Um, a Marvel is more I, I place more in the sort of film as entertainment, whereas I might place Martin Scorsese films or similar sort of auteur directors. In a kind of, they're creating, or they, at least they think they are creating a piece of art. Um, I agree, but I think that he's particularly talking about superhero movies. He didn't mention DC, but uh, do you see what I mean? I, it's um, it's not just about entertainment; it's about the superhero narrative. I think it's a tricky one, this because is is there a degree of um. 
for, sort of formulaic license to print money style filmmaking going on with Marvel films? Yes, I think there is. Does that make all of them bad films? No. And you can quite enjoy them. So if you enjoy them, are they cinema? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a place for both. There's a place for a film that, that has a more of an artistic character and a place that ha- for a film that has a more of an entertainment factor. And sometimes they cross over completely and sometimes they don't. So let's go back um, to his definition. Do you agree with his definition of what cinema is, which is a human being c- conveying emotional things to another human being? Uh, I think it's a tricky one, this. I, I, I think if you ask your average... There's a difference here between what I would call Hollywood filmmaking and perhaps more, you know, maybe European or just auteur directing in general, which is, I think, film is viewed as a piece of art for an auteur and film is viewed as a piece of entertainment coming from Hollywood. But they do cross they do cross paths quite a lot. Um, I also think that a film doesn't always have to have an emotional psychological experience passed between two humans well, well, what is that cinema. but well, well, what is that anyway um you know what you, you're saying i think films need to be about people I, I mean were you upset when iron man dies at the end of their end game because i was bloody upset you know that was, a, that was some serious shit in that funeral I was, I was weeping a little bit you know and if we're going to go back in time to history in the 1980s, for example, the equivalent might have been seen as something like Spielberg and George Lucas films, you know, Star Wars, Empire, uh, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, again, is there, are, do they have less artistic value for the same reason? I'm not sure I agree with that, with that either. Have you ever cried at a Martin Scorsese movie? I don't think... But is that, that's not necessarily what he's, what he's saying. No, though. no, no, it's just that you said you cried when Iron Man died. So I'm well, saying, I'm trying to I didn't give cry. an equivalent. I didn't cry. I, I mean, I, I was... <laughs> I held you put it, it on I, I held, I held it together, <laughs> I can assure you. Okay. Um, no, I, 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 suppose it, I suppose it's how much... <clears throat> excuse me. It's how much you identify with the characters in some shape or form. And, that's, and that, in, in Marvel's case, that's built over an elongated period. Rather like it is in a, in a, in a long-running TV series, so that by series three, you are properly invested in these people because you understand a lot more about them than you can usually get out of a two-hour film. But that also goes to my point of women being represented. You just said how you, how you identify with them. If Martin Scorsese is not making films that are about people I recognise or women I recognise and doesn't give them a rounded backstory, then how am I supposed to identify? Oh, I know, I'll do what I've always done with the history of cinema, which is I'll identify with a male character <coughs> if I have to, or I won't identify and I'll just watch it and, and I'll, you know, have a human emotional response in some way or I'll just be entertained, although that's not really what Scorsese does with his films. He is trying to elicit emotional responses. It's just most of the time there are emotions I don't want to feel. Like, he's always trying to make you feel bad or upset or repulsed or scared. He's, he's, not, he's not trying to well, make you cry well, think, with tears of recognition. Yeah, I, I don't think... Yeah, crying is just one emotion, obviously. You can, no, you can, think, you can elicit many Marvel emotions. Marvel does do that, um, yeah. But the, the idea that Marvels don't make that same... Marvel films don't make that same connection with their audience 
uh, that they don't elicit that emotional response from their audience or, or create that connection, I don't think is true, necessarily. Well, I think I'm saying it's the opposite. I think that the emotional connection that I'm trying to get from cinema, or I prefer to get, I'm more likely to receive in a Marvel movie than I am a Martin Scorsese movie. It's also... he's not necessarily for me, but there's a difference here, which is that he makes great movies. He makes cinematically challenging and original movies with these amazing, like, emotional and, like, cinematographic set pieces, which, like, yes, you get CGI and visual effects and things like that in Marvel, but it's not the the same thing. And he definitely portrays believable human characters. So I get that side of what he's saying. He wants to deal with real life. He well, doesn't really make anything like you could say Shutter Island. Well, I don't know. Well, deal with real life, real life, I don't know. I think it's stylized. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's it's possible. Has he ever made a film that's impossible? Well... Not that not, I'm saying, I don't know, superheroes are possible. But... Um, as with all films, an audience, and it's a highly subjective point, a viewer connects with it or they don't, and it's largely dependent on what the subject matter is, how it's relevant to them, how it's shot, whether they... I feel quite strongly about Terence Malick films, for, for example, but I can tell you I'm probably in the minority there, certainly in his more recent films. I can't imagine Malick's on Twitter, so he probably doesn't have um, an, an opinion on <laughs> But a lot, a lot of like people, this. but a lot of people, a lot of people would watch. A lot of people, I thought Night of Cups was brilliant. I really connected with that. I thought it was one of the best films of that year. Massively underrated. But I'm clearly in a minority there. Most people aren't going to connect with that. So does that? But but but. Then, I don't think we should go into what no, I think about Malik's portrayal no, of women in films. No, but anyway, no. but that's my, off my, the subject. My point, my point being is is is, it, yeah, is that all filmmakers in some capacity regardless of the point of the film, are trying to make some sort of connection with the audience. With the audience. Yes. Um, but they're not going to connect with everybody because it depends on lots of different sort of X factors that they're not really in control of. Um, but what's this thing about cinema? This is the important part here is that what is cinema? Is there any kernel of truth in this theme park analogy? Because he thinks cinema that you're going for a ride when you're watching a mole. Yeah, film. and when you watch when you watch something made by more auteur cinema, you are having yeah, and another kind of emotional experience. I I I think there's a kernel of something there. It, it's you know cinema is a it, the way he's using it is in a pretentious way. And it's 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 um it's subgrouping, isn't it? It's creating an in and out group of I'm creating cinema, you're creating yeah, theme park well, I think, entertainment. I think what he's doing is split, splitting cinema into that 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 mm. that, that, that sort of two tier system that I mentioned before. That being the auteur and the, it's the, it's the idea that are you make is filmmaking designed to, for entertainment or is it designed as art? And the answer is actually both, and it, and, it, and it crosses over quite a lot in, in my view. However, if I was to list you, I'm not going to do it, but if I was to list you my 100 greatest films, I'm guessing some of them just could be pure entertainment films. Now, I, I consider myself someone who does appreciate the art of cinema, um, and I'm, I'm, going to give, I'm going to give a lot of points to that. I'm going to give points to films that other people wouldn't necessarily watch. But I'm also going to give points to Marvel films because I found them entertaining, and I do regard that as still at the heart of, 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 of filmmaking. But I also regard auteurism at the heart of filmmaking at the same time. 
I don't think they're badly made films, Marvel films. I think they're quite engaging. If I was to compare them to Transformers, I'd say, if he'd made those comments about Transformers films, I'd be wholly <laughs> in agreement. I'd say it's a load of bullshit, that. It is interesting that he's used Marvel and he hasn't talked about DC. It's almost like... Um, I think it might be by design and that he's picked a... Oh, the most successful. Not just, not just the most um, financially successful, but also ones that are have a you know that I give a pretty sort of a plus ratings even by critics mm-hmm. so he's basically challenging that I mean it's very easy to just dismiss a bloody DC or a Transformers films as D minus isn't it well not Joker which apparently is doing very very well but we're not talking about that on this podcast um so, I have a question yeah, for you George Lucas where does he sit he's in the Marvel category is he so you would say Star Wars is completely in the Entertainment, even though Star Wars, like he may have started out with sci-fi fantasy. Have, well, it's it, is it not not in not in a classical sense? No, I, I think it's more sort of space opera, western in space, whatever you want to call it. And there's a guy who started out making sort of quite highly regarded cinema, you know, THX American Graffiti. Hmm. But you're never going to convince me that that. They're not. They're not. They're pieces of entertainment. They're, they're sort of Saturday morning pieces of glorious entertainment. He admitted as he has admitted as much. And I think Spielberg sort of does the same thing around. Not quite. It's quite slightly different, arguably. I think we could have a whole podcast um, episode on Spielberg because the thing is, he is always trying to do something different, and he's probably straddled either side of the aisle, yeah, hasn't I, he? Yeah, he has. Um, but but that does not mean. But if, but if I consider Star Wars films to be, or at least the you know episodes four, five, six, if I consider them to be, you know, really good to watch and very entertaining, and I, I I still regard, I still give regard, I still give them points. Um, am I giving them the same points as the Seventh Seal or Raging Bull? It's it's a different it's a different scale, isn't it? That's the thing. You watch them for different reasons, uh, but there's room in there's room in the world for both. Yeah, but it, I think there's also room in the world for them to both to be considered cinema. Yeah, I, I think agree. that's my I issue agree. is that he created this division, and what he really means is like genre. I don't I don't know. Like it's it's still cinema, still the things that certain Marvel films do, and I don't want us to be like, oh, Marvel films are all universally great the whole way because they're not. But, um, like, I always get excited when there's a new one, except neither you or I have seen Spider-Man Far From Home. Let me read what he then said with his clarification. So then he realised he'd cause a furore. <laughs> yeah. uh, my concern is losing the screens to massive theme park films, which I say again, they're their own new art form. So he's now saying... He's, he's so saying, he's now he's acknowledging... He's backtracking. He's so saying, he's now acknowledging, oh, the cinema and the right. three so he's, But he's now sort of saying, by the way, they are still art. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not knocking them. He, he just seems to be annoyed at the, yeah. the loss of screen space well hang on no 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 he's really backtracking carry on cinema now is changing we have so many venues there are so many ways to make films so enjoyable fine go and it's an event and it's great to go to an event like an amusement park but don't crowd out Greta Gerwig and don't crowd out Paul Thomas Anderson and Noah Baumbach and those people just don't in terms of theatres so this kind of puts a whole different complexion on it one he's he's changed his mind because he's realised he might be wrong because he's now said cinema is changing so he's now putting I think superheroes and Marvel films within cinema so that's quite funny and secondly, he's taken these specific auteurs who, as far as I'm aware, are all doing very well. Like, Paul Thomas Anderson famously has had a couple of um, 
um, box office failures. I think he actually had um, Inherent Vice and The Master in a row. I think it might be The Master first. And both of them didn't make back what it cost them to make. They were quite expensive right. as well. You don't see PTA not making any more films. Oh, boom, he makes Phantom Thread and gets nominated for an Oscar. Of course, of course. Again. They always Greta do. Greta Gerwig, um, uh, first woman in ages to be nominated for Best Director other than our mate Catherine Bigelow. Um, and also she made a film which wasn't a war film, so I'm already happy about that. <laughs> there's there's um, Oscar buzz already about Little Women, which is a remake that she's making that's coming out of Christmas. Um, so she may well be nominated again. And her boyfriend is Noah Baumbach, who has made Marriage Story this year, which is also critically acclaimed and is probably going to be Oscar nominated. And ironically, going back to the start of this podcast, Marriage Story is coming out on Netflix. So it's like um, everything's melding into one. It, it seems, I think, that he's like a bit of a dinosaur and doesn't like this change in things and doesn't like the, I don't know, the, the world becoming a bit more crowded. Well, I'd say two things here. Firstly, I agree with you that I, I, I really don't think modern auteur directors are going to be too fussed about Marvel films because it's a different audience and it's a, di- it's, it's, it's a different sort of industry to, to me. Um, the- I also think the majority of people want to watch Marvel superhero films and mm. nothing you do yeah. will make them go and watch an auteur Well, well it's, just, it, it's, it's a case of you, you'd watch... You'd, yeah, I agree, I agree. Not they're, you and they're, I, they're gonna, watch both. Yeah, we'd watch both and you will end up with some people that will just watch the Paul Thomas Anderson film and some people that will just watch Marvel but there's yeah. room for both. You can actually handle both. Yeah. So my, I agree with you that, that, that these, these kind of directors are always going to keep making movies. Um, I, I don't believe any of them at any point have ever stressed the need to earn a fuck ton of money out of those films. So not to worry, really, there. And sometimes they do make money as well, yeah, but it's not yeah. guaranteed. Well, that brings me to my second point, which is, since when ever has Hollywood cared about the sort of artistic point of a director what they care about is making money and they will mm. do whatever makes money we do it in the UK with the TV industry I mean we commission a show it's not as if if it bombs we aren't commissioning it might have been a great show but if it bombs we are not going to commission it again it's that yeah. simple we, we might you could have great reviews yeah. we might try yes. we might try one more just to see if we can get the numbers running but, but that aside at some point yeah. you've got to cut your losses it is a profit making industry so you can't really blame Disney for going ape shit on Marvel or or, or you know, Warner Brothers for doing DC because they're just trying to earn a, earn a buck there. Now, he also made a point about the way that you can make films and yeah. of which, you know... I know, so Netflix. now he's trying to piss other people off well, by talking well, about Netflix. Netflix, <laughs> Amazon Prime. Um, I, I got no problem with, with those guys commissioning films, sticking it out for a week to get Oscar nominations or whatever they want to do and then bunging it onto Netflix. I got no problem with that at all because my argument would be I don't see anybody else trying to commission those kind of films. So, so why would anyone have a problem with that? And that is just another avenue for an auto director to get their film made. I mean, Roman was the obvious one from uh, from from uh, last year. Yeah. Um, and that's so. The, yeah, you're right. Quaron would never have. Would have found it very, very difficult to make such a well, personal black and white well, story. It, it, it's just it's not as if Disney or Warner Brothers or Fox were clambering over themselves to fund it, whereas Netflix were. Yeah. So, so what's the issue? And it really is one of the best films I've seen probably in a long time, but also one of the best films of 
last year and was yeah. was acknowledged you're right and then there was a lot of um you know upset about it not having a long enough theatrical it, it, run mean, and that you have to have a theatrical run it just seems to me that that what he seems to be angling for is is trying to convince the public that what they want is more auteur cinema rather than actually just reacting to what what they seem to like which is, is just to say you put a whole bunch of films out there oh well that one did made more money therefore let's make more more of them but there is side to that which is there are films that might make a lot of money i.e transformers which aren't very good yeah so there is an argument that that too many poor quality stupid action superhero movies will be to the detriment i absolutely and i completely agree with that like there's a lot of stuff going around at the moment about how the top 10 like people being terribly depressed because the top 10 highest grossing films this year are um remake sequel prequel related universe and that is the world we're living in now but that's because it's the the top 10 films it doesn't say all the different ways particularly on your prime and your amazon or what or where have you where people are watching their own individual tastes as well but the thing is it, it, it is an event he is right in the sense when he's like oh this like it, it, it is a little amusement parky because you go the cinema is expensive and it is a little bit more of an event nowadays you have all these there's a lot of there's so much complaining issues a lot of complaining about how long um the adverts are now that they're like 30 minutes or more at least over here and then you've got all the trailers you've got expensive food to buy but at the same time you're going there and um you are probably going to be somewhere for like three to four hours um where you know you now have comfy seats you might have 3d um you know, all these speakers all this kind of thing it is it, it is different to how you wouldn't necessarily watch a scorsese film or have to watch it in a you know surround sound what have you i'm sure it would help actually but um do, do you know what i mean it doesn't have to have yeah and, and i don't think and and yes i I, th- I think the point there is that big particularly sci-fi but i suppose it could be anything really big budget Marvel style films lend themselves to the to the medium of cinema, definitely um, of big screen cinema. Whereas, quite frankly, if you watch The Wolf of Wall Street at home or watch it in a cinema, it's not going to make that much difference to your viewing pleasure. Mm. I think certain films almost are more suited to be watched at home, um, simply because, simply to make make your life a little bit more comfortable and allow you to concentrate a little bit more. Well, I had the chance of seeing a screening of Marriage Story on the big screen, and I decided not to see it because I thought it's coming to Netflix. It's a kind of Kramer versus Kramer type film about a divorcing couple. And I just thought, this sounds like the perfect film for me to watch when I'm at home. So two more things I want to say. One... TVs are better now. So TVs are more cinematic. Yeah, So true, the experience true. is, yes, it's not as good as a cinema, but it's not like a tiny little box or, and you know, you can watch things on your phone. I'm not a big fan of it. I'll watch TV series maybe, but not so much films. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is that also, like, because the superhero genre is so big now, it's started to split. So... You have films that are a little bit more genre-based, so you do have things in Marvel like Captain Marvel and Black Panther 
um, for as the two most recent examples. And there's going to hopefully be uh, um, a um, female team up, like Avengers style film. And there's going to be a Black Widow film that I think they're filming now or going to film. So there's definitely it's moving that way as well. And then with DC, you obviously have things like Joker and you have Wonder Woman and you have Aquaman and then you're getting all these different directors and different things. So that's just in the films. They're already there's no such thing as just like a superhero film. It's not like Superman one, Superman two, Superman three back in the day. Although I wish they would stop keep making Spider Man films because I'm fed up with those. Yeah. Um, and that also you have TV series now. So I'm watching Watchmen which is graphic novel and which is also about people who are kind of pretending to be superheroes and it's actually about vigilante justice and the TV series is, is very much about race relations and things like that and the Zack Schneider film that it was based on um, is very much based on the original graphic novel and that's actually about like times in Nixon and like um, uh, what you want to do when you don't believe in the law and mm. um, you know what to do if you don't believe in the police force and things like that so that's a TV series and then you also have other all sorts of things like you had all of the Iron Fist and um, Jessica Jones and all of those on the Marvel side and then other DC there are so many different variants of the superhero well, genre that they're almost well, the, the idea, genre cinema in themselves well, the idea is that you build the universe so and this is MCU I, I would argue kind of came up with this concept um, more so than say Star Wars or anything like that I think it, it said well let's create the universe and then we can introduce character after character after character and, and it's and, and various you know various uh, there's been an attempt to sort of duplicate that with probably not a, nowhere near as much success um, I mean we mentioned like to what extent, you know, if, if if all films were, if all these films were as bad as, say, Transformers, would I have more of a problem with it? Yeah, I think I would. Especially if I thought, as, as Martin Sorsay is sort of saying there, if those sort of auto-directors are being forced out at the same time. I think that, I think at the moment that starts to happen, where you start substituting uh, slightly, slightly shit um, big-budget films for, for, you know, and, and you're getting rid of all that, that uh, you know, auto-cinema. But then I would argue... That you can marry them together, and to that and to that end, I would use the example of Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy and say, actually, yes, there is. You can you can come up with something that is both big budget, a classic sort of comic book concept, but ultimately uh, is artistically quite credible. And some people would even say Tim Burton's Batman, the first two Batman films, were in the same bracket. And yeah. Tim, Tim Burton, by the way, is very much an auteur director. Yes. Um, oh so, my God, he has exactly his own style. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, so you, you can, so so maybe maybe the answer for Martin Scorsese is just go out and do a rehash of Iron Man or something like that and see how that goes down. Yeah. Exactly. And I just think as well, him saying, oh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, instead of saying, like, Celine Sciamma or Kelly Reichardt or, I don't know, even Ryan Coogler, he's probably too famous now. But do, do you know what I mean? I, I think I'd I'd be a bit more on top of that opinion if he actually picked auteurs who weren't getting enough work. Do you see what I mean? And not, not the people who are doing fine. And it's like, clearly you group these people into auteurs because they're the ones that you know and there are so many out there and people should be doing that and there's so many different things that are coming out definitely like um uh the guy who did uncut gems i've forgotten his name but there's a lot of like um oh it's brothers um there's a lot of like 
strange directors out there. There's Robert Eggers and there's a lot of stuff going on about The Lighthouse now, which is like this art house black and white film with Willem Dafoe uh, um, <coughs> about lighthouse keepers. Um, like, auteurs are getting through. There's there's a lot of the A24 work, like Midsummer and Hereditary and all the things that they do. And that's just the horror angle. That's it's. I, I actually feel quite confident that we're getting into an age of auteurs and superheroes i think we've always have had that yeah. age it's never really changed it when martin scorsese started directing films in like you know what it was late 60s early 70s um <clears throat> the only reason the only reason that that he and and people like coppola and probably brian de palmer and so on and so forth were able to get their break at the time was because Hollywood didn't really not understand what it was doing it was confused at the time until jaws came along and then they thought, oh, hang on a minute, that's how you make money. You, you make a killer out of that. And, and, and then followed by Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all, and all these films. And once they worked out the formula, of how it, the, the, the print money formula of those films, they carry on. And that's all that Marvel's done. It's exactly what's happened time and time and time again. So, yeah, he didn't mention, Scorsese didn't mention Spielberg. Well, because Spielberg has a reputation of, of A, being an auteur himself, and it is of the same generation and ilk as Scorsese. No, but what I'm saying is Spielberg is a marvel, though. Spielberg was the one who was making films that cracked the code. Well, yeah. Uh, Jaws, like, uh, you can either, say what either, you like about Jaws. M- maybe, it's not auteur cinema. Well, I, I don't know. You might think so. I don't know. I, I, I would argue, it, I, I'd argue it's a classic well, crossover. Well, there you go. It's a crossover. It's a crossover. Yeah. But if you're a Hollywood exec looking at that film, you've just got dollar signs in your eyes with Jaws. But, because of the shark. But you might, if, if you are, uh, but you also might, if you're a film critic, actually say, well, you know, I'm going to give that an A, A minus, or whatever you want to give it, because yeah. actually it's a pretty good film in its own right. Yeah, well, I don't know. It very much is, but what I'm saying is it doesn't, in my opinion, fit in either of the categories that Scorsese has laid out, that all cinema must, or all films must be cinema or theme park. I think what and I actually think Jaws... Which is a ride, I think. It is, it is a ride. Right down the It middle. is a ride. It's so is Razor the Lost Ark, I believe, or it used to be. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, so, Classic part. So I'd say, the, and I've, I've been saying this for, for quite a while now, I, I think the answer has always been the same to me, which is make big budget films, but make them good. Um, you know, th- there's no reason why they can't be artistically credible films. Well, I don't films. think it's even big budget. I think the issue here is superhero genre. You can still make them artistic yeah. or auteur or whatever you want to, yes. whatever you want to call that. They can still be good. Um, where I have the problem, and I'm, I'm, it's a shame he didn't use Transformers as the example, is when they are just a load of rubbish. Uh, when there is very <laughs> little, there are very little there is artistic yeah. credibility out of it, and. and I don't think Marvel films, for example, are, for me anyway, in the same sort of, quite the same league as a sort of 70s, 80s, Jaws, Rose of the Lost Ark sort of, sort of uh, category. I also don't think they're in the same league as Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy either. But they are still good. They are still credible in, in some shape or form. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If you turn to Scorsese and you went, what do you think of The Dark Knight? I definitely think he's more likely to call it cinema when it's about Batman well, there and you the go. Joker. Well, there you go, you see. There you go. <laughs> it's fine. So what he really means is be be a director like me and my mates or be like Nolan and make a film where there's a human element to it, even though there is in the Marvel there always, there's universe. Always a he's probably watched the first ones, though. Let's have a look at, like, you know, the early Iron Mans and, and Thors. You, I, I do actually understand, even, you know, there's a little bit of, of human relations there, but it's not like the later movies. Like, the Marvel in every phase has evolved. It's had to, to keep 
interest. Well, well, it's also just the fact that you've you've had more screen time to develop your characters, and therefore, mm. therefore, you don't need to waste time. Um, explaining who they are so you, you can dedicate more to plot and other sort of concepts but there are a lot of like visual effects and big set pieces like a lot of true. people go oh the battle of new york that was amazing true. oh this happened in civil war true but but is that my question would be yeah and so what would be i would say scorsese is calling that the amusement park part i wonder how many he's even watched because I think if you did what we did last year, which is watch all of them well, in a is row... Well, is that true? Yeah, I mean, there's something in that, I think. that, that It's a lot of explosions, a lot, a lot of lights, a lot, a lot of sound, a lot of cool things to look at. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to say that they are dazzling you with special effects at that point and keeping you entertained in that way. Yeah, I, I, I think there's some truth in that. I think my take on it is somewhere that you've kind of just brought up now with the with the Spielberg Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what we're missing. We're missing the middle of the not the middle of the road, but the the middle of this these two the Venn diagram of auteur cinema and superheroes, which is classic action movies because something like Raiders of the Lost Ark has all of this like you know emotion and almost this stuff about war and things like that in it and you know factions and what have you and education and all of that but also all these spectacles Mm. um and um I think that's the type of film that I would say like movies that The Rock makes Mm. is kind of the only middle ground we have at the moment. I think part of the issue is that it's actually really difficult to make mid-budget, mid-action adventure films because that was exactly what Spielberg was doing 20 years ago or more. And now, unless The Rock's in it, maybe Mark Wahlberg, those films (laughs) don't get made. And instead, you have... You know, the <clears throat> exotic and strange, like um, Ariaster films, or you have the hyper Aquaman, DC or what have you. Although the Joker, you know, sorry, Joker, um, even though I haven't seen it and I don't know much about it, I, I can actually probably say that it, it, it's not a normal superhero film from everything I've read and heard about it. But... I miss those films. I miss an action adventure. Well, because there's a spot for them. Well, no, I would say Scorsese probably thinks that the auteur cinema should get bigger. But I'm saying if you're going to cut off the pie that Marvel has, it should actually be given to other forms. I don't. I don't. But, I think but what does he want a... there to cut to cut off the pie and ha- and and give that that slice to? Auto directors. Yeah, that's what that's what he says. He says, "Don't crowd out the auto directors." But I think he's asking a lot from people if they're over here in the "I want explosions" and just to be made to feel good to bring them all the way over. That's why horror works so well because that's a spectacle well, yeah, in its true. own right. That's true. how you bridge it over. You get to elevated horror, um, which is quite good because this is probably going to come out on Halloween. Um, and by the way, we have two episodes from last season about Halloween if you want to go back and nice listen plug. to them nice plug. yeah we're not gonna talk about that uh, again um yeah I just I I think there's something in what he's saying but I actually don't think it's the thing that he thinks it is I just think it, it it's there's this element of non-reality about it to me which is that 
You mean business reality? Yeah, which yeah. is it, it, it is as far as Hollywood's concerned a money making industry, and as long as Marvel films make money, they'll get made. Um, it, but they <clears> are <throat> cinema. Yeah, but I, I do. But I, I, I th- as I said before, I think the answer is actually make those films no problem I, I don't see auteurs getting get, getting sort of ironed out I, I, I don't know where he's coming from that from but I would also say you, you can make these big films better um, <clears throat> and so just do that and then it make, keeps everyone happy because then you have a big budget auteur film yeah well exactly well, like, which I think is um, what um, Christopher Nolan yeah exactly did. that's exactly what he does and that made a huge amount of money but then, but then there are some films that well, I'll give you an example. I mean, I, I thought a film which did very, very well financially. Um, um, I don't know. It was critically acclaimed. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't really think great things about it. it was Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh dear. Um, which is well, my point. Was, and you were so looking forward yeah, I was, to it. I was. And I probably it. was giving. I was probably viewing it through a very, very harsh eye because I love biopics and I particularly like you know the, the, the story of Freddie Mercury and Queen. But at the same time, when I watched it, I thought, okay, great performance, no, no problem. Did this deserve an Oscar Oscar nomination? Not sure. I'd, I'd give it a B minus, probably as a as a piece of Barry filmmaking. Barry Manilow couldn't even um, um, use those. If you, are, if you ask me, Infinity War was a much better film. Yeah. Um, yet it still made hand on how many hundreds of millions Bohemian Rhapsody made, but it made a lot. I bet you in Martin Scorsese's world, that's a better film than than Infinity War, and I'm thinking it's not. It's just not not in my view. I have three final questions for you. Mm. Question number one. The Greatest Showman is that cinema. Why would it not be? It's a film that some people liked, reviewers thought was average. And some people liked it. Um, It's an original musical and it made an absolute fortune that no one expected. It is neither an auteur piece, unless you say Jackman's an auteur, which you might be able to, um, nor is it superhero. Well, it's a music- but it made a huge amount well, of money. Well, it's just a, a musical. So if you're going to say that's not a film, then neither is Singing in the Rain, I guess. So, yeah, so you say it is cinema. Yeah. Okay. Two, second question. Define the cinema. <laughs> that's impossible. I don't know. Um, okay, look, should, we should go back to old Marty again. We'll, we'll work on his definition. Well, he says it isn't the cinema. Is it theme parks, cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being? So I think cinema has to be on screen, on vis- screen. visual and auditory. And this is the test. So this is like the cinema test, okay? Cinema test has to be on screen. It can be on big screen or small screen. It can be made by... Warner Brothers or Netflix or another company. So we're saying that's got... So all of those are cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Doesn't have to have human beings in it. It could have superheroes in it. But it... it, You were saying earlier about entertaining versus... Art. Right. So is it an and or? Or could it be cinema is entertaining art? I think it could be. I, I, I don't. I think some 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 things I would still call cinema. I, I would never call art. Um, um, so okay, I, so I, I art is only part of it. I think it's an and or really. Uh, and or okay. So cinema is a film. Doesn't matter how it's made. Doesn't matter how it's screened. Mm-hmm. That is 
entertainment and or art. Yeah. Entertaining and yeah. or art. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's very hard to sum it up in a, in a singular point. I guess it's an audiovisual medium, isn't it? So, um, and, I, and I would, I, I would also characterise it as having a, a certain time span to it. I, 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 again, it, it, this is way too vague, but to me, uh, I still think we're doing better than Marty. A, a, a film is not a film if it's like sixty minutes, for example. That that, that would always slightly. Oh. Well, it's I, I, not to say that I haven't seen films that. that, that, that but I've, theme park rides are very short. Yeah, I, I, I feel as though it's it's a sort of commitment there that you should be. Okay, so we say time. ninety minutes. We well, watched a film yesterday that was eighty-four yeah, minutes, no, and that look, was definitely look, cinema. You can't put a precision on it. I'm I'm just saying that there's probably a minimum level there somewhere. That I would say, hang More on, that's, that's, that's a TV episode, but there okay, you are. Fine. Well, some TV episodes are two hours. Yeah. Um, okay, and lastly, what are your favourite Marvel films and what are your favourite Scorsese films? That's a good question. Um, I think probably my two favourite Marvel films are. Um, well, three actually. I'm going to attach two of them together because I think they're sort of similar. Yes. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxies one and two are the two, sort of two <laughs> I would attach together because I just think that they are more than anything else funny. Uh, I think there's a le- there's a level of comedy in that and comic timing in that, uh, particularly from Chris Pratt, which I think is uh, you know obviously you know it, it's difficult to fit that into that particular genre. And it works quite well. Uh, the other one I would say the one I enjoyed the most was Infinity War. I think it was scandalous that Black Panther got a, no- a nomination. And Infinity War didn't because it was a bit silly. Uh, Scorsese films. Hey, one, you can ask me. Oh, okay. My favourite Marvel film is Infinity War as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed both of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and when I rewatched them, I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy two more than I remember enjoying it at the time. Yeah. So shout out to that. Infinity War has one of the bravest moments in cinema by making a huge big budget superhero movie and then ending it with the snap I will always that to me is cinema you were you knew there was a sequel coming and you knew it wasn't going to end that way but I didn't think it was going to end I did not think it was going to end so darkly but to be honest I'm a big fan of Captain Marvel I'm a big fan of Black Panther I like the later ones I also quite like um, you've got to pick you can't have like five Infinity Infinity War is my favourite Infinity War is my favourite and it is mostly for that moment the whole film was good but I just remember being blown away in the cinema Scorsese Um, probably okay so I'm I'm going to give you two which I, I think I I oh you're going to say like and then are the best well no there's there's two that I think are I could just watch them again and again. I think they're, they're brilliant sort of examples of cinema. But there's another one I'm just going to throw in, which isn't necessarily considered his best, but I've just got a little spot in my heart for for some reason. Can I so, guess what they are? Uh, no. Ah! <laughs> okay, well, when you say them, I'll go, yes, that's what I was well, thinking. Well, and we'll just have to take your word that yeah. you knew that, won't we? <laughs> um, so the two, that, the two that I think are classically just good, and you can definitely watch again and again, I'm pro- I would say Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Shock. Well, they, I, I know that they are considered to be his best unit, you know. And also some a, a, of his a, a, earliest On an objective work. scale. Yeah. But I just think that they're ones that have they've just aged brilliantly. Raging Bulls gets better every time you watch it. Um, and the, the other one that I just think I'm just going to throw in there that I personally just like for weird and wonderful personal reasons, I can't quite put my finger on it, is um, Last Temptation of Christ. Ah. Well, I haven't even seen that. So, um, and I would like to watch it. 
this Willem Dafoe Jesus? He is. Okay. He- Jesus, maybe. Jesus. Um, maybe I have seen it. Um, I can tell you now that I watched After Hours and it was flipping crazy. Yeah. I really understand yeah. that film whatsoever. Yeah. It's not my kind of film. It's in a dark film. place when he made that film, wasn't it? It's a very strange film to be called a comedy. Um, however, it's certainly innovative. Oh my God, what's my favourite? I'm not a massive Scorsese fan. I like The Age of Innocence. I didn't even know he made it when I watched it. Um, that's a lovely film. I quite like Shutter Island because I like a mystery, even yeah. though it's got some stupid bits in it. But that is a well-made mystery. And um, I don't mind Cape Fear. I think that's genuinely scary. And I think um, Robert De Niro is really good yeah, in yeah. it. Okay, I you, haven't even properly seen can't, Taxi you can't Driver. Go to them all. You've got to be. And like, I haven't. No, I'm just saying. And I haven't. And I absolutely can't stand Wolf of Wall Street. And that makes me in the minority. <laughs> but uh, anything else you want to say about cinema? Um, anything else I want to say about cinema? Um, no, I don't think so. Except to say, uh, Goodfellas is also a pretty good film. <laughs> For cinematography purposes. Just like it. And Joe Pesci purposes. Just like it. It's just, yeah. uh, it, it's it's that, um, no one does um, sort of mafioso films quite like Martin Scorsese. Mm. But what I would say to end is that I thought he was a mafioso director. Mm. I thought that's all he did. If you look at his catalogue, that's unfair. I know what I've missed. I'll tell you one of my favourite Scorsese's. It's too long. Silence. Silence is a great film. Uh, it's a bit of a pale limitation of the mission, if you ask me. Well, I haven't seen that. So, um, but I really enjoyed that. But I wish he'd made it about nuns instead of monks. Nuns weren't missionaries, were they, in those days? Or were <laughs> no, they? I'm just trying to shoehorn women. Maybe they were. In I don't actually there. know. I don't know enough about that. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, if, if Scorsese was to like join up with Kevin Feige and like make, a, make the all female, yes, this is it. Scorsese with Kevin Feige makes the all-female superhero movie, makes it all about the pain they go through and how hard it is and the emotional depth, then I have created the ultimate cinema. Probably the closest he's ever done to what you you would call a superhero movie. It's not a superhero movie, not even the least bit, Mm. but the closest he's done in terms of a bit of fantasy... Probably Hugo, actually, now that I think about it. Which bombed. Mm. Which also bombed I really like that film. Office. But it's clearly a film designed for cinephiles, uh, people who know a bit about film and history. And it's supposed to yeah. be a, a film for kids, yeah. and it's a film for adults. Well, you kind of have to know the history of cinema to, to actually appreciate, to appreciate it, it, I think, but there you are. Yeah. So, you know, mm. good filmmaker, crap at defining cinema. Yeah, but who is? I, I'm not sure our definition was great, quite frankly. Mm, speak for yourself. But you only gave me like two seconds to do it. You can come back next week if you want with homework. I will. What is cinema? I will. I will. Much better next time. Thank you for making it this far into the podcast. I hoped you enjoyed that conversation and feel free to email or tweet us if you have any thoughts on what is cinema. I'd also like to make some clarifications about um, Marvel characters because I didn't say the names Proxima Midnight or Ghost correctly. Both great female characters in the MCU. Uh, So I'm correcting that here. And now uh, for next week's episode, we go back to gaming and I speak to someone who has a absolutely fascinating and educational specialist subject. Here's a little clip.
you know, I've been playing through it much more slowly rather than like the ridiculous fast-paced game I was trying to do <laughs> when I first played it. But I went, I was kind of walking around Saturday and she was there and I, I listened again to the conversation that they had because obviously she says, oh, but you know, we vote for women. He's like, oh yeah, that sounds fine to me. And she's like, oh, progressive. And he said something like, Arthur says something like, um, oh, well, anyone who's um, you know, stupid enough to want a vote can have a vote. And it's like, <laughs> that's not really this kind of pro-feminist statement. It's just this, the game once again being like super cynical about the, the idea of American democracy. Find out more on the next episode of Beyond Beckdale. See you then. Hello, Nick. Are you going to drink your tea? Can I drink my tea during the podcast? Yes, you can. Okay. So you might hear some slurping.